What's up? What's up? Episode 99, Unstoppable REI Wealth. Today, I'm interviewing Mr. Jordan Fisher from California. We're on the trend here. I'm starting to interview a lot of guys in the commercial space, apartment space, and there's a reason behind it. I'm doing it to educate myself, not only my listeners, but myself, because I do and I will be getting into commercial real estate investing in a big way. So today, Mr. Jordan Fisher, we speak about how he got involved with investing um, and how many units he's doing a year. I think he has like 2,000 units under management. And uh, it's just him and his partner, and they're cranking out deals really in the West Coast and anything, I think, west of the Rockies. Solid individual. Came up with a couple of good uh, ideas and nuggets where you guys could uh, raise money from third parties. And um, I really hope you guys enjoy the interview. Welcome to Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My name is Billy Alvaro, a.k.a. The Unstoppable VA. Former billion-dollar mortgage banker, gone bankrupt, turned professional real estate investor where each week you'll learn the tools, strategies, systems, and secrets myself and other highly successful real estate investing entrepreneurs use to start, grow, and scale their businesses, creating massive profits and how you can too. And we'll teach you how to put those profits to work so you no longer have to. Get ready to finally experience financial freedom and generational wealth. Now let's get started. What's up? What's up? Welcome back, everybody. Another episode, Unstoppable REI Wealth. I'm your host, Mr. Billy Alvaro, the Unstoppable BA, and I have been on a mission to start driving in people, experts, the guys who are the beasts in the industry who understand and maximize profits when it comes down to apartment investing. And I'm doing this because I want to soak up the knowledge myself. This is the next piece of my evolution where I'm going to be growing into. And so today I'm interviewing Mr. Jordan Fisher from Cali. Mr. Jordan Fisher has been doing uh, real estate investing, specifically in the multifamily space, for 19 years, just about as long as I've been doing it on the, uh, actually longer than I've been doing it on the, the fix and flip side. So, Jordan, brother, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here, Billy. Good. Good to have you. It's uh, What time is it out there in, in Cali right now? It's like it's, uh, it's, 8, it's, it's 8 a.m., so 8 not too early, yeah. yeah, yeah it's time to uh, shower and put some pants on. You look good, brother. You're looking good. Look clean and healthy. <laughs> So Jordan, take me back. You, um, I see you went. You got your MBA. Your, your, you went to uh, to West Point. Like you're an educated individual. It's it's unnormal for me to have people on here. Not that they're not educated by street, but very not normal to have people on here who have their MBA. You know, graduates with uh, from what you were doing. So what what path were you on prior to coming in to doing this with the commercial with the apartment investing? Yes, yeah, so I've, I've had a few paths. So, you know, going to West Point, you you really you study. I studied like physics and electrical engineering, you know, and, and the reason why, you know, it, I just thought those classes were good. But you don't you don't know anything about the civilian world. Right. You just know nothing. And, you know, my, my old man, you know, didn't take me to work. Well, he took me to work, but he didn't, you know, he didn't have a career. He had his own small business. And so I didn't even really know what civilian careers were out there. And so. You know, you studied what I studied, and then you get out of the army and you forget everything you learned in college, right? You you serve, you know, and then it's like years later and you're like, I don't know, what do I do? And you know, so I kind of I I did two things once. One, I I got a job. Just I was I was pretty good at school, and so I got a job consulting. It was dot com boom, and I was like, you know, I'll teach myself how to write software and get a job consulting. But at the same time, I wanted to go back to school. Um, to kind of learn, you know, because I didn't, you didn't take finance, you didn't take marketing, you didn't take accounting, you know, all I took were just sort of rigorous, you know, traditional like electrical engineering and then core educational um, classes. And so 
consulting was interesting, um, but I didn't never really had a passion for doing IT work. And so at the time, you know, I, I, I ran up debt in the army. You know, I was like, I was, I was 22 when I, when I got out of West Point, I was making seriously 1650 a month. That's what they paid a second lieutenant. Damn. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was broke and I was stationed in Hawaii. And so this is a long time ago, but in Hawaii at the time, like gas was a buck 60, which was outrageous, you know, because like, you know, in Kentucky, it was like six seventy cents a gallon. So I was, I was broke and I ran up credit card debt. And so when I got out, I started consulting. Then, you know, I finally paid off my, uh, my credit cards, which I thought I seriously would like, I couldn't sleep. You know, I was like, I'll never pay off my 10 grand in credit cards. That's an unbelievable mountain of debt. And, um, and when I finally had some money, I'm like, okay, I should, I should do something with this money. What do I do? And a couple of times, my older brother kind of, he, he followed the stock market or whatever. He said, you know, this, this tech company, it was a hundred. Now it's like 90 cents. You should buy $10,000 with it. And I would just get wiped out, you know, just trying to catch that falling knife. And so I was like, after losing a couple of times on, on stock market gambling, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, and so I kind of read a little bit about multifamily investing. I was like, yeah, I think I can do something. And because I was scared to buy, like I wanted rental housing, right? And kind of like what you do, but you know, for my first investment, I was like, you know, if I have one unit and it goes vacant for three months, you know, that's, I'm broke, you know, I'm, I'm paying, you yeah. know? And so I was like, but if I get a triplex, if one person moves out, at least, you know, I got two to cover the mortgage. That's the beauty <laughs> so, of multifamily right there in a nutshell. That was it. And so I was like, you know, and so, you know, I didn't have a ton of money, but I bought my first triplex. I, I was, I was working in Huntington beach. If you know, Southern California, it's, it's like the northernmost orange County beach town. And I was, I was working in Torrance and right in between the two cities is a place called long beach. And you go from Santa Barbara down to San Diego, there is really one really bad beachfront area. I mean, it's, it's a crime driven area. It's bad, you know, overall area and i'm like you know it's not gonna stay bad you know <laughs> it's a long time ago you know santa monica was actually pretty run down a long time ago Venice was pretty run down yeah and now they're really really expensive and i was like you know long beach will turn someday and so i was driving I, I would drive to work and i would start looking at buildings and i'd start looking at rents and finally i, I found a deal i thought was a really good deal and i just pulled the trigger and uh i think i put like five percent down on a triplex how old were you at that around there I was about 20, 29 when I bought my triplex. Yeah. So, so fast forward now, how old are you today? 49. All right. So 49. So at 30 years old, you got into doing this full time, right? Yeah. Yep. Did you go straight into large apartment complexes? Did you start with you see the three family, five families? You start trading up. Yeah. What did that look like? Yeah. So I started with a triplex and then, you know, I bought, maybe another, I think fourplex. And I just started trading those up, right? Because, you know, the thing about multifamily, which I also thought, you know, in, in, in stocks, right? There's, you know, so many stocks trade on stock exchange and there's guys like full-time, this is what they do, right? They look at these five stocks, these 10 stocks, and they know it way better than any amateur is ever going to know it, right? But and what I found in real estate was like this one property, I could be like one of two guys, one of one guys, that are looking at this one property today. And so you can find these little windows where you can get a deal that's because it's not, it's not a truly transparent market and you can get a deal that's way below market. And so like my very first deal was, it was awesome because it was marketed as three one bedroom apartments. 
and it wasn't. It was two one-bedroom apartments and a three-bedroom house. And so the rents, instead of being, you know, I think 700 bucks times three, there was two $700 apartments and then a $1,500 house. It was just totally mismarketed. I just went and closed it. And so I just started doing that and trying to find little places where maybe something was undervalued or, I could, you know, I could push the rents a little bit. I could retenant it. I could, you know, renovate it and then sell it at, at a profit. And then I would do a 1031 exchange because I never wanted to, uh, to pay taxes and I'd buy something bigger. And so I just kind of worked on growing my portfolio, one to two deals a year. And, you know, eventually started maybe doing a little bit of friends and family money because, you know, it's, it's hard to really just do it all with your own money and kind of grew it that way. And it's it just did that for like maybe 10 years. How many units do you guys have now? We've got about 2,000. About 2,000. Beautiful. Yeah. And are you concentrated in one specific area or are you going all over the place? We are going all over. We're, we're concentrated uh, basically west of the Rockies. So we're in Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Oregon, Washington. Um, and then we have one deal in Texas as well. Is there um, is there a specific reason why you're going west of the Rockies? Anything to do with politics yeah. or rental yeah, so it's, it's it, <laughs> No, it's the opposite of that, right? But no, it's mostly because, you know, uh, we want direct flights from Orange County. So we, we go and we asset manage. You know, it's me and more, uh, my business partner, David. And we just, we can't get, you know, two time zones, three time zones. You waste a day traveling there, a day traveling back. It's just not worth our time. It's hard, you know, you spend a lot, too much time on an airplane. So, you know, two hour flight, one time zone, two hour flight, zero time zone changes. And you can kind of get in, do your work, get out and uh, have somewhat of a regular life. So Jordan, take me through what is, what's your role in the business and what's David's role, your, your expertise? Like, what are you responsible for? Yeah. So, you know, it's just two partners for 50, 50 partners. Um, I probably am a little stronger on, you know, the acquisition side where, you know, really, you know, I've got more Excel skills and he, he's actually a lawyer. So he does a lot of our contracts. He's actually phenomenal at asset management. We, we kind of divide up the, our markets mostly based on region where he'll travel to our Southwestern markets. I'll handle, uh, uh, the Northwest and the Mountain West markets. So that way we're not kind of, you know, traveling to the same places, <laughs> you know, you can kind of handle one, one flight night. He's got American airlines miles and I got Alaska miles, you know, Right. <laughs> take me through Jordan. Um, I, I want everybody to get, suck at some value out of how you guys on the right. So first, how do you go about finding new deals? Is it traditional means through brokers? Yes. I mean, that's, that's primarily it. We do a lot of networking with brokers. You know, because right at this point, we're we're not really looking at anything under 60 units. I mean, we tried. Everyone likes 100 units, but you know, for the most part, you, you got pretty sophisticated sellers at 60 units and up, right? It's it's not it's not usually a mom and pop that just bought a house that maybe don't really know what's going on. These guys are all pretty smart, and they don't usually sell. You know, just to to a guy that calls them up. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It's just it's it's less likely. And so, you know, we do a lot of networking with the brokers. Brokers mostly are pretty good guys to get into the business because they're pretty personal dudes. And so, you know, we try and be as clean a buyer as we can be so that. If, so if we send an offer that we're going to pay X, we're going to close on this timeline, you know, unless there's a real reason to change our offer, we're going to close on the terms of our offer. You know, we'll stick to the timelines. We'll stick to the price. You know, a lot of people, they. They use their diligence, you know, for 30 days and then on day 29, they give it a 10% haircut or something, right? And 
just causes everybody anxiety. You know, everyone just wants the deal closed, especially the brokers, right? And so we try to try and do clean deals where it's like, this is what we say we're going to do. We're going to do it. That way, you know, if they have an off-market deal, uh, something that, you know, is pretty hot, they're going to call us, you know, maybe first two or three people to call. I'm assuming, Jordan, if you, you do your due diligence and the numbers are coming in and you're going through your, your process and shit's a little bit different, you're going to renegotiate the terms and the price. It depends. But, yeah, I mean, if it's something that's on me, then I won't, actually. You know, it, you know I'll, I'll figure out, can I make this deal work without renegotiating the price? I really, really try not to. You know, if if it's something that they haven't disclosed, right? You know, we've had some some issues, right, that they knew about, and they just didn't disclose, and there was no way we were gonna find out until we were doing our diligence. I'll give you an example, right? So some people, you know, they're, they're gonna walk the property, write an offer, right? And they're gonna see the asphalt, and there's gonna be cracks in it. And then three weeks later, they're gonna say, well, you know, it's gonna be $150,000 to fix the parking lot, so I wanna lower my price by $150,000. And to me, you know, I saw that when I walked in. I'm not going to retrade you on stuff that I know I should have known about. That was on me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not going to retrade on that. But there are some people that will. And so we try to be the guys that don't retrade on stuff that's on us. When you're uh, when you're going in and you're analyzing your deals, what do you look for in a deal? Like what kind of returns you're looking for on your properties? And and you said earlier that most of your shit you keep. You don't really sell out. So are you no, no, no. We, we sell. We sell. So if, if we raise money, we're doing three to five year holds. Got it. And in the last few years, you know, price is going up ridiculously quick. We've actually sold, I think, 30 deals full cycle, you know, already, even though we're only been around eight years. What we look for mostly is something that we, we want to bring a return to our investors, right? We're looking for high teens returns to our investors. And you know, if you can get something that's built in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, that's really just a cosmetic upgrade. Right. That's the best, right? Because it's, it's the lowest risk, right? Yep. We never get those deals. <laughs> we either get a deal, we get a deal that's older, we get a deal that's in a bad neighborhood. And those are going to be higher risk because you just don't know what variables are going to come up. You know, I mean, you get a 70s building, there's a good chance you're going to have a sewer leak. You're going to have a, a tree root into your sewer line. And you're going to have like a $5,000 pop that you weren't planning for. You just, you just got to have that budget. Just know that you don't know everything. There's going to be random stuff that breaks the older the property is. And likewise, you know, if you go in a bad neighborhood, you're going to have more evictions than you plan for. And when you do an eviction, the turn after the eviction is going to cost you way more than a typical turn, right? They're going to, people are pissed when they get kicked out, right? They, they bust the doors they bust the walls. You got a lot of drywall damage. You know, they might steal your appliances. You know, it's just a it's just a way more expensive turn when you're doing higher evictions. So bad neighborhoods, older properties, we do them. But, uh, you know, we kind of try to build a lot more padding into those deals because there's going to be just these things that happen that you don't plan for. Yeah, I love it. And you're you're how many are you doing all of the analysts? Are you analyzing everything or you have a team that does that for you? Yeah, so we have, you know, we have a small team, right? We've got we've got an asset manager, we have an analyst um, that helps us do, you know, the underwriting. But at the end of the day, we're not a big team, and David and I are heavily involved in every single deal. I mean, really heavily, and down to you know every single assumption on the model. We you know walking all the comps to make sure we believe in the renovated rents. You yep. know, working with the contractors, to make sure that. 
we understand the cost of the renovations. So we do have a, you know, we're big enough where we have some assistance, but we're not so big that David and I aren't involved in every single deal. How many, um, how many deals, Jordan, do you think your, uh, your team needs to review before you actually get a deal? So what does that look like ratio wise? Do you have any idea? I, you know, I would say we're maybe one out of 30 or 40. I mean, we really, it's, it's okay. I mean, we really don't compete on like, broadly marketed deals, right? If it's going to, you know, if a broker's got it and he's broadly marketing it and there's going to be a call for offer, we never win those. I mean, there's just guys that they've got, they're better at raising money. They maybe have investors that'll accept lower returns than us. We just don't win those things. And so, or they have more aggressive assumptions and, and, and David and I, you know, we're here to do deals. We're not, you know, everyone says they're conservative, but we try to be realistic. Uh, we're, we're not, we're, we're here to do deals, but, we're not going to like lie to ourselves. We got to be something we really believe in. Um, one, one out of 30, one out of 40 is a good number. Cause there's a lot of guys at the view that, you know, it's one out of a hundred, one out of 150. They have to look through to see if they're, and they make the offers, but they just don't get them accepted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, but I, yeah, I mean, I think one out of 30 is, is about right. But again, we're not looking at every single deal to begin with. We kind of just give it a look and you know, are we going to be competitive on this deal? And, like you know, pretty much anything over, I would say, thirty million, we're probably it's probably too big for us. Anything under maybe seven million is probably not worth our time. And so you know, there's ways to kind of filter out deals. Just you know, right. are they are are they deals that we can look at and spend time on before we even you know really dig in? Well, do you have um, an idea? I know every deal is different, but you know your properties that you're buying somewhere around 1980, 1990, somewhere around there. Do you have a cost per unit that it's taking you to renovate in your assumptions? It's kind of different market by market, but yeah, I mean, I, I think renovations have gone up a ton, right? Yeah. I mean, materials have gone up a ton, labor's gone up a, a fortune. So most of our units now are like 17, 18 grand for a renovation. And and like four years ago, we were paying like nine, 10. Wow. And that's a, is that a full pull? Is that just a push and pull or a full gut? So it's, it's, probably halfway in between right that's where you you know flooring is usually three to four grand appliances you know 2500 paint you know maybe 2000 you're gonna have to replace all of the hardware and parts it's 2500 and then labor is like maybe four or five grand you know and so if if you want to replace doors if you want to do baseboards and it just goes up from there you know yep 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 i know it's uh, it definitely got expensive over the years for sure man covid mm-hmm. just put everything through the roof yeah yeah, this is cool, bro. All right, so tell me your your money partners, your capital partners. What do you guys do for that? Do you is it your own cash? Do you guys raising capital? What does that look like? Yeah, we're raising capital. We've got so we started off, you know, David and I. We we really we didn't know probably a single person that would give us a twenty five thousand dollar check when we started. You know, neither of us. We didn't grow uh, grow up with country club money. Um, neither of us are particularly good networkers, <laughs> and so we started this. And there was a friend that kind of brokered, you know, like. He worked with money raisers and he found people that were willing to raise money for us. And so now, and and then at the time we would, we would raise, and we started to raise money, just small amounts, you know, like a hundred grand on our first deal to up to 400 grand. And so now we've got about, you know, eight years later, we've got a group of us or maybe about 125 people that, that have invested with us and they're all pretty happy with us. All the deals have done pretty well. And so depending on the size of the deal, you know, our network, we can raise, you know, maybe five to 6 million bucks. And if we need more then we work with like a third party fundraiser for the remainder. 
Uh, so we've worked with a number of groups that, that do fundraising, you know, and people have heard of some of them, you know, like Realty Mogul or some of these online groups that do fundraising. And so, you know, between the two, we can cobble together, you know, about 10 million bucks. And so if somebody like Realty Mogul or a third party who's doing the raising for you, what are they, what's their take in a deal? How do they get paid? Uh, most of them will charge the deal for their fundraising. So they'll, they'll charge some points and it's, it varies, you know, different groups charge maybe anywhere from, you know, maybe three points to, to five points on the deal. And then a lot of times, you know, I won't see it because they'll come in, all their investors will come in as an LLC. We won't have direct contact with their investors. And I think they charge, they also charge their investors some fees on the, on the other side. Um, but we don't really see that. So who do you have? You have Realty Mogul, and what's a couple of the other the other companies, third parties? Okay. Um, there's a company called Into. Uh, Into. Group called, yeah, uh, they're actually out of Israel. There's another group that we've worked with called Flagship, um, out of Texas, and and so there's just different groups out there that you know they're kind of sub institutional, right? Where these groups they'll they'll do three to six million dollar checks. Um, and then, you know, kind of, you look for like a 10 to $20 million check. It's kind of a different group of people that raise yeah. more. Are they getting uh, any type of the, the group who's putting it together, not the investors who are going to the LLC yeah. that they get equity stake in the deal as well, or are they baking it into the LLC? I think they bake it in. Like, I think they get a share, uh, you know, a lot of them co-invest with their investors and I think they might, they get a share of some of the upsides, but they charge it. Their investors are paying that, you know, not the deal. Got it. God, is it expensive working with groups like that? Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, it charges the deal. You know, again, if they're charging four points on the money, right, the deal has to come up with that. And so um, it is expensive, but it's worth it, right? You know, you get the deal done and, you know, if, if the investment can support it, then it can support it. So, you know, it's, it's just it. the way to make it happen. Yeah. I love it. This is this is good shit, bro. All right. So now take me through. You guys take the asset down. I don't want to go through your due diligence process. I want to go to actual renovating of the property. Do you have your own in-house teams that oversee that? Are you third-partying it? What does that look like? Yeah, so we self-manage. So we have, you know, about 60 employees across our our um, markets that are the boots on the ground, right? We, we employ them. We self-manage as everything from collecting rents to leasing to maintaining. And then we don't hire a general contractor generally our asset management team. So David, myself, and our other asset manager will go, you know, hire all the subs and manage the the different trades that will do the renovation, whether it's, you know, we want to, we try and be really, really quick because speed matters, right? Cause the, you see market can change really quickly. Right. And so as soon as we close, we want to get the big ticket items, you know, done. We want to get the paint. If it's a new brand, get the new brand done, get the landscape done, new signage. If we, um, you know, if we're going to redo the, the pools or the amenities, get that stuff done. Those are big ticket items and get them done. We like to start like the same week that we close if possible. And then, and then after that, you just kind of, it's more interiors, you know, as people turn, then you're going to renovate those interiors, push the rents. And that that's you know, the nitty gritty that takes, you know, the remainder of the two to five years, right? Yeah, no doubt. Are you, who on the team is, uh, has the construction background? Anybody? Nope, nope, no. Nope. None of us are contractors, but you know, we're 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 renovating. We're not building ground up, right? And yeah. so after Funny. a while, you get a you get a feel for what what does the exterior paint cost? What does a re-roof cost? What is what is you know the interior renovations cost? So we've done these so many times that we have a pretty good handle on it.
What are you, uh, what are you hoping to do over the next like five, 10 years, you and your, your partner, like what's your plans? You know, I think goal number one is to never ever do a bad deal. Right. <laughs> so, you know, everybody wants to grow and all that stuff and we do too, but we don't like, we don't want to grow at the expense of our relationship. I can't imagine, you know, we've got friends, we've got family, we've got neighbors that invest with us. I, I don't want to run into anyone and say, you know what, that we probably shouldn't have done that deal. Sorry. You know, <laughs> so yeah. number one goal is to never do a bad deal. And, and then number two, you know, we both really enjoy it. Um, I think we like to do a little bit more balance of, you know, maybe stuff that's a little less hot, you know, maybe do a 10 year hold that's instead of, high teens IRRs, maybe a, a 13 or 14% IRR, but you'll hold it for longer, less intense, less pressure, you know, maybe less leverage and just kind of have a little bit of a mix of, of long-term holds. And, and, and yeah, you know, so that's one of my questions. Like a lot of these syndicators, right? They're, even though they're not flipping, like yeah, my house flip, right? It's every six months to a year, we're either building, yeah. renovating, flipping. You're getting the long-term capital gains, great. You're getting the depreciation but you're still turning it over. Like you're really never getting that to where you're growing your, your wealth yeah. over time. So what, what are you doing with the money that you take in? Are you putting it into other deals that you you're holding personally for long-term wealth building? Cause like, as I'm, and I'm asking this for my own self, cause I like, I want to start building big yeah. on, the, on, the, on the other side, but I don't want to see myself every five to seven years having to flip and get into new deals. I want to start accumulating that. The syndication part, I know I'm going to have to flip. Yeah, frame to get my investors back. But like, what, what are you doing with that? Yeah, so it's a balance, right? So I do have my own personal portfolio and that personal portfolio, you know, I cost segregate and that helps me to defer taxes on our promotes and stuff for the flipping. Right. And so yep. you get enough cost segregation, you get enough depreciation and those losses will offset your 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 gains and your promotes. So it's important for that. I definitely have my own portfolio of deals that I just hold and I, you know, hold five to 10 years and hopefully we'll 1031 those and keep growing that. That's it. That's the new um, Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the way it is. And so, you know, it's, it's grown, you know, I, st I before we started syndicating, I, I had like 60 apartments in Long Beach. Now I have a personal portfolio of about 500 units, you know, in different markets. And what's um, the size, I guess, uh, building that you have? Well, I think my smallest is 20 units and my largest is 110. Yeah, so that's smart. Um, so you're taking the money from the one side and the syndication, you're putting it into your own side, yeah, and growing your wealth on the other side. That's smart. Yeah, that's that's what I'm primarily doing. And then, but you do like when you you know these loans as you get into bigger loans, they've got they've got net worth requirements, they've got liquidity requirements. And, you know, we got earnest money. We got you know to every deal. So we you do have to keep a lot of just cash that goes in and out for facilitating the deals. Um, so that that's also an important part of being a sponsor. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the other good question that leads me to: Are you and your partner signing on every every deal, or do you have somebody else that comes in for like the larger ones for net worth? Yeah. So far, we've never done a deal that we couldn't sign for. Um, you know, just for for your listeners if they're not familiar, um, most of the loans we have, in fact, all of them are non-recourse. But even though they're not, even though they're non-recourse, right? Um, there are recourse carve outs. So if you do some bad boy stuff, if you do any fraud, anything, then it becomes recourse, right? And so they want a warm body to sign on those, um, those non-recourse carve outs. That's huge. Yeah, that, that's a good play. Brother, if, um, if people want to get in touch with you, find out more about Jordan Fisher, where do they go? So our website is nextwaveinvestors.com. 
Um, you can always email me at uh, Jordan at NWI for Next Wave Investors, multi, multifamily.com. So Jordan at NWI Multi. Um, probably two easiest ways to get in touch with me. And uh, yeah, love to talk more. You a social media guy? I've got a LinkedIn profile, but uh, <laughs> you know, this is not a face that's made for Instagram. So <laughs> yeah, that's great, bro. Listen, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and uh, I appreciate you coming on, Jordan. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah. Stay on. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My mission is to give you, my listeners, the blueprint for success, the insider secrets for starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing business so you can experience and live the unstoppable lifestyle. I've made it simple for you. To catapult yourself to success, go to billyssecrets.com. That's B-I-L-L-Y-S secrets.com. There you will find every single tool, tip, trick, strategy, system, and secret used to make millions of dollars as a real estate investor. Everything my team uses and my guests use all in one place for you to tap into so you can start, grow, and scale your real estate investing business. I really hope you implement what you're learning. I hope you utilize these tools, tips, tricks, strategies, and secrets, and I hope to see you on the next episode. God bless. Bye-bye.